We'll do it live! F*** it! Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for uh, coming on. The question I wanted to start with was, being a Memphis fan is heartbreaking. Um, and being in this market, a professional like yourself... And you come from Buffalo, so I know being a Bills fan, that's got to be tough. Um, do you think sports towns are cursed? Do you think that's an actual thing? And and if so, is Memphis cursed? Is Buffalo cursed? What What is it? No, I don't think Memphis is cursed, and I don't think Buffalo is cursed. I, I think sports is, being a sports fan is, ex- unless you are in uh, – of very few fan bases it's the essence of it is heartbreak the essence yeah. of it is disappointment um i guess if you're an alabama football fan it it might feel different the lakers over the years boston recently and all kinds of things because um you know they had the, all the patriots super bowls and the celtics have gotten some and and the red sox had their run after they were kind of cursed for all those years mm-hmm. um so no i don't really believe in curses i think that it's really you know, one team's when it wins a championship and every team except for that team either has a crushingly bad year or some really bad thing happens on the way to a loss. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, anything a Memphis fan can conjure up for some sort of heartbreak, I can conjure up as a Bills fan. And yeah. Um, yeah. But there are others, I think, who feel the same way. I think each market, they can they can recite to you all the heartbreaking moments and for some reason the heartbreak sticks i think um maybe even more than the than the triumph and so i i really do think like bart giamatti the old commissioner of um major league baseball who was a professor at yale before that he said baseball is designed to break your heart and i think that's (laughs) i think really he could expand it i think sports is designed to break your heart it really is I think for some, though, when you said bad things happen and and when those bad things happen at the worst times, it seems like some franchise may have that a little bit more than others. I would argue that Memphis seems to be one of those. I mean, going just back a few months ago, you know. Right. But I mean, I'm not. It's very clear that every every city doesn't have the exact same amount of heartbreak. Some have more. Hmm. But I mean, if you're an Atlanta fan, um, you know, you're up big in the Super Bowl. You'll 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 never get over that. It seems to me. Um, That's true. At least until you win a Super Bowl, and then the Braves only won one World Series. Like they should have obviously won more World Series along the way. Yeah. Uh, until Georgia football finally broke through and started winning championships, Georgia football was about heartbreak. Just like until the Sox, Red Sox started winning, winning World Series, they had you know century of heartbreak. Yeah. So. Obviously, some cities get it worse than others. And the truth of the matter is, small market teams, smart cities get it worse. Bingo. Because they don't have the financial advantages and all mm-hmm. kinds of reasons. And yes, Memphis has had its share of heartbreak um, very clearly. Most obviously, um, the Mario Chalmers shot in the oh. national championship game. Gosh. I mean, that's the. It that's still the hurts. It still hurts. That's a, that's a stab to the stab to the heart. There's no question. Um, I think, yeah, mid, mid major teams and where Memphis, I mean, the Grizzlies is the only pro team that we have, you know, so it's a big deal. It's, it's definitely a basketball town. Um, but like, it's funny is, is have the Grizzlies suffered heartbreak. 
Yeah, I get what you're Maybe. saying. Like, I don't know. Like, I know. I, to me, it's actually... the, the, if you go back to the grit and grind Grizzlies, to Mark and Mike and oh, yeah. and Zebo and Tony, mm-hmm. they really got everything out of their talent. It seems to me to that the, the idea Definitely. that they got to. A, a Western Conference Finals, and then there was no heartbreak. They were swept. No, there wasn't a heartbreak. That's, that's definitive. And then, obviously, I guess it's heartbreaking when Ja goes on. Uh, it's more stunning than heartbreaking when Ja goes on social media with a gun. So that's heart. But getting your ass kicked by the Lakers in the way they did, that wasn't really heartbreak. It was just, it was, again, it was definitive. It was emphatic. It was, you can't break your heart, um, you know, when, when you're down by – double digits and you know minutes into the in the game and you just get blown out that that would there i don't think there was anything particularly heartbreaking about last season there was disappointment but not in the kind of crushing way that defines you know that 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 you remember like that those two teams though and this is the difference in my opinion and the reason for that is is that that grit and grind team connected with the city of memphis and they were a style of basketball, once again, the grit and grind, um, Memphis versus everybody. Um, right. That mean that's a real that saying says everything you need to know. Oh, one hundred percent. Hey, well, no one was ever critical of the grit grind Grizzlies because outside of Memphis, no one even paid attention to them particularly. So there was yeah. no reason to be critical of them. This team, originally, when Jeff first burst on the scene, it felt like oh. This is all the all the advantages of that team plus superstardom because Ja at the time seemed like small town kid, like another version of chip on the shoulder, overlooked, wasn't highly recruited, you know, went to Murray State, happy being in Memphis. Perfect. 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 And then no, like it went off the rails. There's no mm-hmm. question it's gone off the rails. And and when you have all that bravado and you fall on your face in the way that they did, you're going to get laughed at. And they 100% turned themselves into a punchline. Dylan Brooks was a huge part of that. Ja was Definitely. a huge part of that. Yeah. And um, and honestly, I think it's really uncomfortable. It's why, like on the radio show, I'd, I'd occasionally take callers and ask what they wanted for a suspension for Ja. And it's one reason why I think that Memphians – didn't mind as a group i'm speaking mm-hmm. you know broadly sure, didn't mind the 25 game suspension and some would have wanted more because they're uncomfortable with this whole over you know bravado that isn't backed up like i think yeah. i think memphians were sick of it too yeah and you're right uh and 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 g- going after lebron the way that dylan brooks did was just stupid Dumbest. it's so unbecoming dumb. i didn't like it yeah i think i think it I think Memphis fans were really uncomfortable with what the team sort of felt like it became at the end of the season. So I think that people are pretty happy. There's a reset with Marcus Smart and, yeah. and Derek Rose. And I think it's great. hopefully when Ja comes back, he'll be, um, you know, a little reined in a little more, um, a, a little uh, wiser in some of his choices. And so I'm hopeful about what it might look like, but there's no question that, the way that it ended did not fit Memphis's the city's image of itself. No, it was it was bad PR move as far as the city's feeling for the team in a way. It it I think Dylan I, I'll excuse John Morant more than I will Dylan Brooks. I, I think when you talk about culture and a company's culture and what you want in a culture, a winning culture, a culture that cares about each other, 
you can't have a guy like Dylan Brooks. He is a culture killer, in my opinion. And that's more important than off the, off the court issues because those things could be fixed. Killing a culture, one guy can kill a culture. And I felt like that's, I mean, that's my opinion anyway. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, and it's interesting that Houston signed him because I think in some ways, as a holdover from the grit and grind team, um, you know, he came in at the tail end of that team. He was the one guy who sort of, it, at, at the beginning, I think he helped set the culture and that he he plays with an edge, he guards, yeah, he plays true. hard every night. And I think one reason that Houston wants him and wanted him is that, you know, it's been a disaster down there and nobody plays defense. It's, and I think Dylan brings a competitive edge that, that any culture really needs, any successful culture. I think the problem is, is that Dylan got um he got a little infatuated with the image of Dylan. Yeah. Um, you know, the blunt talker, uh, I'll say what I want. I and and it's funny because Dylan will the the, the Dylan the villain stuff, mm-hmm. he'll say he 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 never wanted that image and he and that it was thrust upon him. But the truth of the matter is he leaned into it too much. And like in that moment when he, yeah. you know, ripped LeBron James, which was just stupid. It was, it was, he's embracing the Dylan, the villain stuff and embracing the spotlight that comes with it. And it was a, it mm-hmm. was a, it was a me thing to say. It wasn't a, we thing to say at all. Um, it didn't help the team. It hurt the team. Hurts the culture. And so I, I think that again, I don't, I don't think Dylan's a bad guy and I, and I'm, and I think, it's possible that he's learned from his mistakes and will help the Houston culture. And I think he originally helped the Memphis culture. I think at yeah. the end, maybe because he was playing out his contract, who knows? I think it became a little bit too much about Dylan. Well, I think from a fan's perspective, that's exactly right. And I'm looking at it from this perspective. I've been rooting for this team since they were in the pyramid. Right. You know, this is, I'm not a player. I'm not paid, but this represents something bigger than Dylan Brooks. This is represents 20 plus years of Memphis, right. a, a team that brings the city together, you know, and um, it makes people interact and talk and not segregate. You know, there's a big part of it. People are on the radio. They're making rap songs about you, Jeff Calkins. Um, it's, it's, it's bigger than Dylan Brooks. It's bigger than one guy. And I'm a little nervous about John Morant becoming too much. I, I think, I think the two signings with Marcus Smart and Derek Rose were great. Perfect, perfect signings for culture and what they're bringing in on experience. Well, they very clearly double down on let's put experienced leaders around job. Uh, Marcus Smart, who, um, you know, has learned in Boston how to how to help shape young stars. And Derek Rose, who really didn't have much of a season last year in New York, but Jock clearly respects him. It's mm-hmm. it's clear from social media and the way they've interacted in the past that Jock has enormous regard for Derek Rose. And so like you can put lockers, you can put veterans in the locker room all you want, but if if the if Ja isn't going to listen to him, it doesn't matter. And so the key, I think, is putting people in that locker room who Ja respects yeah. and yeah. and then who might be able to then shape his behavior. Because, no, it's worrisome. I don't know how it's going to go, but Ja, I don't think anyone does. Um, I, I'll say that I think it'll be pretty easy for Ja to get his reputation back. All he's got to do, he's such a brilliant basketball player. 
if he just plays basketball the way he can and then stays out of the limelight, it's it, it, it all all this goes away. This is not yeah. some permanent, um, you know, some permanent affliction. It seems to me, as long as he can, you know, make smarter choices on social media. My opinion is a controversial one. I wouldn't put up with it. Um, but I get it. I get. I, I, what does that mean, though? Was that? Mean I think meth is kind of, what, is, what does it mean to I'll say? I'll tell you, you what it means. It? I'll tell you what it means. I think. Um, I think. He was given a pass. We are a city where gun violence is out of control. And it's it, it seems like if we're going to be honest with ourselves, his skills are keeping him here and why people are going to keep him. And I get it. But what could you get in return for him? I get it. He's a once in. I'm not saying get rid of him, but there yeah, are. But see, I don't know what it means. Like, if to say, I think it's pretty clear that the Grizzlies had a hard time reining him in. And I'm not saying that, and, and that his, that his talents didn't create, you know, that that he had more runway and and then he could handle that. He was given more runway than he can handle. I think that's probably true, but like right now, Mm -hmm. and I agree, like the gun stuff in this city, it's it's such a bad look, such a bad look responsible. But does that mean I would, trade Joff or pennies on the dollar no definitely not no, but I you would you would get pennies like, on a dollar for is, him no i i do what the grizzlies are doing which is let's see yeah, if we can get I, good job yeah. yeah i know it's silly to say trade him I, I, no and everyone deserves a second third fourth chance whatever he's on right what are we up to which one yeah <laughs> i think Derek rose and and marcus smart like just it's about leading by example as well. You hope that you don't want them to have mentor talks. Hey, son, you better get off that social media. No, you just need them to lead by example. And that's what they, we know that we know that Marcus smart is a guy that's going to lead by example. We know Derek Rose is. I'm still, I I'm going to choose to be hopeful about Ja, Um, but uh, yeah, what he did was crazy irresponsible. Yeah, it, it is. And I don't want to spend too much time on that. I actually wanted to, um, talk to you about the intro to your radio show which i've been listening to like i said for 20 years it seems right um the song's awesome like who chose that song john martin chose the song because i started john was the producer okay and so uh and so john i don't know john came up with the song that's where the song came from do you like it uh, I don't, it's more John than me. Is, you know, is that right? Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. it's more John than me. I, I'm, I'm, That's it's more John's style than my style. So, but. What you would know, your style be? If you had a choice, I, I don't know. I, what I, song I, would you pick? There's got to be a song I, it, right it, now. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't but know. What kind answer. of style of music would it be? I, my music taste stopped at James Taylor, and that wouldn't be a good. Uh, no. It wouldn't be a, James Taylor would not be a good intro song. No. So, no. I, I really this is not. The nice thing is, uh, I leave it to the experts. One of the things that I really like about the show is the Chris Harrington segment every day, because yeah. Chris, unlike me, is so steeped in music that. Mm-hmm. Every single day he picks a different song as a sort of inter- introduction song that yeah. for one reason or another fits the day. Mm-hmm. And it's been an incredible education for me because he he pulls from anything. I mean, all sorts of st- types of music except from metal. all eras. Except heavy metal. <laughs> but so, yeah, no, I, I 
the song was John's and it's and and I go with it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's it's kind of like um I have to do that. I have a creative job. We all have to do that sometimes. We all have to defer and and even though you want it to be your own thing and you want to use your own yeah. music, sometimes you just have to take other people's word for some thing, times, you know, and and let and, and yeah, I think that it's because the song is 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 you now. So it's like when you hear the song and then it's like you know you're coming on and it's energetic well, after and- a while any any introduction you know whether it's the whether it's the introduction to the to Seinfeld or the internet like there there is a song that that conjures up something that's coming and it almost becomes sure. Pavlovian you yeah. hear that and you know this is the start of what hell think of the like the NFL jingles that yeah networks use right think of the monday night football song the the it you hear that monday night football song and you're like i know what's coming and um and so in the end i think that's the the point of these intro songs is that they are almost pavlovian and that they hook you in well let me let me let me compliment john because because i've i i'm in also in a job where i pick music and and you could go in so many different directions and i don't know for whatever reason he fell on that and i really feel like it fits now let's talk about what's on top of the music every morning yeah man i i I really want to get into that um well, so I, I mean, I'll tell you the, the, what it, what it is is it's it's Jason Williams, the former Grizzly, um, and it's audio of when he went off on me in the locker room. And so yeah. uh, he's saying, "You ain't writing nothing, homeboy." That's you ain't writing nothing, homeboy. You ain't writing nothing. You ain't writing nothing. You ain't writing get and and uh, no interviews. And then he stole my pen and snatched it um, from you, didn't he? He literally took my pen out of my hand. And what's funny is he was traded that offseason. So I didn't see yeah. him for a while. Yes. But then he signed with the Grizzlies a couple of years later after he'd won a title with yep. the Heat. And he had a brief cup of coffee at the end of a season, I don't know, three years later with the Grizzlies. And when he met with the media that first time, people were asking me, like, what's it going to be like? You haven't talked to Jason since he went off on you in the locker room and, and stole your pens. And so I... Um, and he was fined, I think, $25,000 for that outburst. Mm-hmm. And so I showed up at the interview session with, I had 40 pens here in my pocket and he saw them and, and laughed. And uh, so that was fine. Here's the truth though. Jason went off on me and he was right to like, I, he wasn't right to seal my pen and go off on me. No, but the truth is, and this is one of the sad things about it is there are over the course of your career columns that you sort of regret. They're just going to mm-hmm. be, you know, I write, I wrote 200 columns a year for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the columns I regret. I thought it was in the, in retrospect, it was a cheap column. Mm-hmm. What happened was Jason, they, they were down three Oh, they had been swept from the playoffs the previous year, swept the playoffs mm-hmm. the next year. This was the third straight year. I remember it. <laughs> or maybe it was the second straight year they were being swept from the swept from the playoffs. And um, and they were down 3-0. And Jason just said some cliche thing like, well, you know, no matter what happens, my family's going to love me and whatever else. And I ripped him for it. Mm saying well if he doesn't care why should mm-hmm. fans care and like that that's what the column was 
And the truth of the matter is, it's a crappy column. Like Jason doesn't, Jason cared. The idea that he didn't care was, and so while it was sort of created this viral moment, um, I don't revel in it because, um, because I thought in retrospect, and I've told Jason this, I think the column was a little cheap. And so, and I try not to be cheap. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, you don't always get it right. And so it's a great soundbite. Like yeah. it's a great soundbite. People have, a lot of people who hear it don't know what the hell it's about anymore. <laughs> you ain't writing nothing homeboy, but that's, yeah. that's like, it, there, there's been twice since I've been in Memphis that, that, that people have really notably gone off on me. Yeah. That was one. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was Penny two years ago. Yeah. Before um, we get to that, can I ask you yeah. one more question? So. Yeah. With Jason Williams, did you ask him a question or or it was he just had that column? You, maybe you wrote the column a few days before and he saw you and he was confronting you because he remembered. No, I didn't the ask in the locker room. I didn't ask. No, the column came out like that day, that morning. Okay. okay. Then they lost the game that night. Hmm. And so then in the locker room, I think I was actually interviewing Powell, maybe or whatever. I was I was I was on the other side of the locker room for where Jason dressed mm. and Jason basically came over and just oh. started yelling at me. Okay. So okay. Cause I had come into the locker room. Okay. I wasn't talking. Jason, Jason was a guy who never wanted to be interviewed in the locker room and usually just slip out and wouldn't say anything. And what like Jason was terrible about being interviewed anyway. Mm. And so, uh, but in this situation, he found me and exploded at me and Mike Miller who's a good friend and played with him at Florida, Mike Miller sort of interceded and basically yeah. pulled Jason off of me. Yeah. He wasn't attacking me yet. Yeah. Although it's funny. He was traded that summer as part of a deal for Eddie Jones, whatever it was to Miami. And I wrote a column that was kind of critical of the deal, not heavily, but like, really, this is what we're doing. We're getting 36 year old Eddie Jones or whatever he was at the time. And uh, Jerry West, who was the general manager, had made the trade. He called me and he left me a voicemail message saying that he said, and in the voicemail message, he said, I wish I'd saved it. He said, I wish Jason had beaten your ass that night. Like, <laughs> like Jerry was a piece of work and yeah. uh, and he was mad. And so, uh, yeah, those were the days. Um, I, I, I remember hearing him come back. Maybe it was that time he was with the Grizzlies, but y'all had a reunion on the radio and I remember hearing it. I don't remember many details from it, but that did happen. Right. I'm not dreaming that up. I don't know if it was with me on the radio. Okay. It was on with Jason and John on the radio uh, and and they talked about me or maybe I was, maybe maybe I got on with them then, but yeah, I mean, I, I, Hmm. again, I've told Jason that I, that I thought, my column was unfair and okay. that he was right. I've sort of apologized to him for that column. No, that's he seemed, I remember, I, I think that's what it was. Maybe you called in a Jason and John and y'all had a talk and he was just really back. So it's cool. But you say you don't revel in it, but you, you hear it every single morning. <laughs> I do hear it every morning because it's a good soundbite. Yeah. Let's get to Penny. So the second time, yeah. what was it, last year, two years ago? It was not this past year, the year before that. And it was Memphis had lost eight out of 10. They just lost to SMU. They were getting blown out in the first half by mm-hmm. SMU. It was like, 
20 to two or 24 to two or something. There's this, <laughs> they, they do this deal where the fans aren't supposed to sit down until Memphis scores. And in the first quarter, the fans just kept standing there and standing there and standing there. A timeout came, TV timeout. They sat down and they back up, like, and they still hadn't scored. Uh, and, and what's the median age? It was a mortifying performance. And so in the in the press conference room, a bunch of people were there. Media members were there, and we were just talking about the situation. And Jason Munns from the Commercial Appeal. He said, well, you know, should I ask Penny about job security? Like, and I, I, I like, I like Jason and, and I, and, and I said, no, that, that you don't have to ask Penny about job, but it put this idea in my head. And so then when Penny was there, I asked him, have you ever lost faith that you can get this done? That was the question. Now, Penny then said, get what done? I said, you know, like, you know, succeed here. Like the first quarter, that was embarrassing. And I think, honestly, it wasn't the original question about have you ever lost faith you can get that done. I think it was the use of the word embarrassing mm, that set him off. Okay. And he said, stop asking me stupid fucking questions, yeah. bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, stop, don't stop disrespecting me. Stop asking me stupid effing questions, bro. And like, with all due respect, on the Jason Williams one, I was wrong. On All this right. one, it's a perfectly fine. It was honestly a softball. It mm. was, I expected mm. him to say, lost faith? No, of course I'm going to get this done. We're going to get this right. We're going to figure mm. this out. We have blah, 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 whatever else. I didn't, it, it never occurred to me that Penny would take offense at that question and go off. And it became like a thing. And the team rallied around it. And they mm. ran off a bunch of wins. And yeah. The funny do that. thing was is that is is that I was that year at the end of the year, Calvary Episcopal Church downtown has something called the Lenten Lecture Series, where they bring in world class ministers during Lent at lunch during the weekday yeah. to preach sermons. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to preach a sermon, and I was so intimidated by this that I mean, they're literally world class preachers come in to preach sermons. Wow, I am an occasional churchgoer, an intermittent churchgoer at Idlewild Presbyterian Church. I've never preached a sermon. I never aspired to preach a sermon. So it was incredibly intimidating. So, but when I thought about what I would preach about, I remembered this moment with Penny. Mm. And I actually, in the sermon, I used, I set it up and I used the question and I actually played the audio of the question, which I had over the loudspeaker of the church. Okay. And there you hear my voice saying, have you ever lost faith that you can get this done? And, and I said, that question, it's not a stupid effing question. It's an ascent. Have you ever lost faith is an essential question. And it's a question that we all ask, have you lost faith in Memphis? Have you lost faith in like, have we as a community lost faith? Like to me, have you lost faith? And what you do to sustain your faith when times are hard mm. is an essential question. Yeah. See, let's get off sports. Let's get to Memphis a little bit. Um, I really love uh, your food segment you do with, is it Jennifer Biggs, Daily Memphian, both of you? Yeah, I'm, it's, it's, so Jennifer Biggs is a, the food writer at the Daily Memphian. And sadly, she, uh, 
was recently diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So mm. she, um, I talked to her just tonight and she's in a hell of a battle okay. and, and I lament that I can't, that I haven't had her on talking about food for a couple months now. I okay. used to, it, honestly, it was such a popular segment. Jennifer's so good on the radio. She knows so much about food. She's funny. Um, that I started doing it eh, maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. But I got to the point where I would do it almost every week because she was so good and yeah. and she's a friend. And you can tell when you're talking to someone who you have a real rapport with. It's like when Gary Parrish and I Chemistry. used to do the thing at five o'clock. So I hope that there will come a time that Jennifer is well enough that she can rejoin me. But that's the situation with Jennifer now. Okay. Um, you know, let, let's get to cancer. Um, I had stage four as well. Um, huh. So that's interesting that you say that. And um, I almost died from sepsis. It, it's like they'll say you're the here. I'm glad to see that you're here. How long ago was this? Um, Four years ago, I guess. It's been a little longer than that. Yeah, but yeah, um, I ended up going through the typical stuff, uh, heavy chemo. I, I, I just had this stuff where it was in major organs, put it that way. And there's no known cure for it. And the best they could do for me was just to keep it like it was. So, yeah, let's do chemo, whatever. Then it got to a point where nothing was working. Um, And then I get sepsis, almost died from that. So I couldn't get anything for a while because I was so weak from the sepsis and all that. So then he's like, I'm like, well, what should we do now? So we tried some things. And then he's like, I know someone in St. Louis, Washington University they do trials. And so I'm thinking, Oh my God, I have a family. How am I going to do treatment in St. Louis? But long story short, I do a two year trial on this immunotherapy stuff. And within six months I was almost cured. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, uh, Jennifer will be glad to hear the stories of hope like that. Um, yeah yeah i did a podcast about it i'll send you a link it's called my tour to cancer because i used to race bikes and um and i used my cycling experience and pain and suffering and and fears and i use it as sort of metaphors from the journey with cancer and i kind of go through the whole story it's about almost two hours long it's just me just talking about it driving in memphis actually you'll see all of (laughs) just hit record and i film it in memphis as i'm driving on a loop or whatever neighborhoods wherever um but yeah i tell the whole story and, and the whole point of it is not to talk about me because it's not about me it's about giving people hope as long as you have a little bit of hope that might right. be all you need to right you know that's i don't a, know it's a remarkable story so um yeah you never know what folks are going through and uh I, you know I, and uh you don't you don't the problem is what she's probably seeing and what I saw was you see a lot of death, you, you, you know, um, but you don't see a lot of the success, you know, right. where cancer treatment is today compared to what it was five years ago, 10 years ago. What without, what flavor of cancer did you I have? Had a sarcoma, you... which uh. only one percent of adults in the United States. Ha- adult cancers have sarcomas, one percent of uh. that one percent. There's like eight, 75 different ones, you know, she's just got to find things to keep her from thinking about it. <laughs> right. um, 
you know, and hope. That's the biggest word that comes out of out of our exchange is the word hope. When you said hope, that's the whole point of I say that in right. it, you know. So I don't know. Anyway, right, yeah, send it along. Yeah. Anyway, um, enough about me. Uh, yeah, food. So let's get back to food real quick. Um, I was talking to my previous interview, Tuki, and we talked. We talked about hypothetically if Tuki was going to come to Memphis, where would I take? What would a day be like in Memphis? Where would I go? Where would I? And we kind of chose some things that he had experience with, and it was Gibson Donuts, of course. It was Gus's. He heard of Gus's, and he had it once, and he can't forget about Gus's. He was raving about Gus's, and then. He brought up the rendezvous. This, this rendezvous and Gus has seemed to be based on that small sample size. What people right. outside of Memphis have heard. What would you say? What would you? What would you? I think Gus's is. I think, I think Gus's is unbelievable. I really do. I mean, I think it's. Uh, you know, people talk about the barbecue or whatever else here. Mm-hmm. I think Gus's is the is you know maybe the best fried chicken I've ever had. I think it's really and 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 so many times you take someone to the place. And it's vaguely disappointing. I think Gus's is sensational. So 100% Gus's. Uh, I really like Gibson Donuts. As I mean, I took my kids there. Honestly, for me, what I like about Gibson Donuts is the it's got a happy vibe to the place. And like when Don DeWeese is there on a Saturday morning throwing donuts to people, it's just a fun place to be. I don't know that I think the donuts are so much better. Like I, I'll often get a blueberry donut there. Do I think that blueberry donut is better? I'll tell you what I really like. I like the apple fritter. I think mm. the apple fritter there is f- sensational. Mm. So I might go to Gibson's. I certainly would go to uh, to uh, Gus's. Mm-hmm. I think I might take him to Jerry's Snow Cone. Mm. I think Jerry's Snow Cone, like that, the snow mm. cones at Jerry's. Yeah. When I thought of a snow cone, it's this, crunchy ice which is fine and then the flavors in the bottom of the cup and it but at jerry's it's like silky it's the whole thing is yeah. infused it, with the flavor it's new the, orleans style that's what i grew is up that what on. it is well yes. it's, it's, if you're ever so in new good. orleans if you're in new orleans or uh-huh. if you go down and watch a pel- cover a pelicans game whatever go to yeah. this place it's called sal's yeah it's been there and it looks exactly the same as when I was young. And it's in Metairie. It's not in New Orleans. It's in Metairie. Ah, uh, I mean, Delicious. you know, and the, and the bar, like, I actually think like Memphis, Memphians like to crap on the rendezvous. They say it's overrated and whatever mm. else. And I get, I, it's fine. I don't love the rendezvous ribs. They're, yeah. they're as ribs. I'd rather have wet ribs. It's just whatever. Sure. Um, the atmosphere is cool at the rendezvous. Mm-hmm. The Burgoses are incredibly nice. The atmosphere is great you're down in the basement it's like and i think the barbecue nachos there and the brisket there honestly are great so i i don't but i the the thing that i feel most strongly about if someone is visiting memphis it's not the food i think the essential thing to do Hmm. is you have to go you don't have to go into the civil rights museum. That would be great if you do, if you got a couple hours and whatever, it's a great museum. Yeah. You have to take them to the civil rights museum to see that balcony and that mm-hmm. reef on the reef on the balcony. And to see that's where, I mean, when you yeah. see it, it looks oh, yeah. just like it did. It feels like it did on that day. It's, oh, yeah. and it, it can't, and it hits you in the soul. It just does. It's, 
mournful and tragic and yeah. and and it feels real it, it doesn't and so to me i it, it's a sad pilgrimage but i always take them to the civil rights museum I also think there are other things that are great, like walking across the the new footbridge oh, over yeah, the Mississippi. Cool. Yeah. Like that's wonderful. You get yeah. to see trains and oh, yeah. boats going by yeah. and the majestic Mississippi. So that's something I do. You you ever have donuts at um my my place? Let me say what my favorite place is 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 huh? uh, Howard's Donuts on Summer Avenue. Um, I have been to Howard's on Summer Avenue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've been to Howard's on Summer Avenue many a time. Yeah, that's where I took my kids growing up. Um, but and do you think the donut at I do? If I gave I you do. right now a donut <laughs> do. from Howard's and a donut from Gibson's in a blind taste test, could you pick out which is which? Yeah. And would you yeah, prefer the I Howard's? I could, I could, um, I definitely could. And which would you prefer? And here, here's something else, Jeff. Uh, um, I would prefer Howard's on summer and I like Howard's on summer better than the Howard's in Lakeland. So yeah. Even the Howard's are different, <laughs> but they're close. They're close. Right. I, but I'm just talking straight glazed donut. Nothing fancy. Just give me a yeah. glaze here. Give me a glaze here. Give me a glaze here. I, I can tell you which ones are which and who. Um, I, I, I can tell you Howard's are probably the worst for you health wise. <laughs> really? Is that true? Yeah. I probably think so. that's probably why it's so delicious. I think but, so. You know, I also like, um, you know, the, I, there's a place on summer. I like ethnic places where I can't, where I get stuff that I can't make at home. And so, oh, yeah. It's called Queen of Sheba on summer, which is really good uh, mm -hmm. Middle Eastern food. There's a place not too far from where I am uh, called Foso 8, where I get a great banh mi. Um, there's a, uh, it's curry. There's a really good Indian place um, called Curry Bowl. I think it's called Curry Bowl. It's really good. Mm -hmm. I, I actually think for me, Memphis is all the food I need. It's delicious. It really is. It really is. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Central Barbecue. That's probably my, my art. Like Central my, Barbecue? Yeah, on like, summer as well. It's consistent across all things, too. I like the ribs there. I like the barbecue there. I like mm -hmm. the nachos there. The wings. People really love the wings there. I think it's got a lot of versatility. Are you a burger guy? I like burgers. Where where's your go to for a burger? Uh so the place that I probably go to the most mm -hmm. for a burger uh is Belmont because it's pretty close to me and they have a really good burger. Belmont has a really good burger. Um and uh mm. But I mean, I've been to Roxy's downtown. That thing is unbelievable. It's just downtown. So right. I don't, uh, Roxy's grocery, It's and it's an experience too. Hmm. Um, you know, I've had the Topps burger, which is fine. And I've the had the Huey's burger. burger, which is good. That's and my favorite. <laughs> where do you go? What? Huey's. You, when you say Huey's, that's my favorite. You, you like your Huey's burger. Well, I mean, the Huey's burger Huey's. wins Best of Memphis and it has for the net last 70 years, as far as I can tell. I like Huey's. A lot of times I get a steak. I get a, a cheesesteak there, though, when I go to Huey's, too. Sure. So um, it, it, there's this this town will make you fat. It's good food here. It really would. It really would. So you've been riding a lot lately, I hear. Well, I only started riding and it's interesting. I didn't know you were uh, uh, used to race. Yeah, I, I used to run and my knees have kind of given out. And so the woman who uh, I'm seeing, she 
rides bikes. And mm-hmm. so we joined the victory couch to a hundred, you know, whatever. And so we did the big damn bridge ride in Arkansas, which was a hundred mile ride. And as part of it, I joined the high tailors and I joined sure. major Taylor and I joined other bike groups. And so I've kind of tailed off a little bit, but um, yeah, I, there, there's a ride in Mississippi early August that's 65 miles or something. And we'll do that. It's great. It's awesome. Um, it's fun. I mean, it, it taps into how you felt as a kid getting on the bike and going along and the wind in your hair. And yeah, it's great. So do you still ride or were you, uh, nah, not really, not really. Um, this was a, this, I, I went, I went all in, you know, when I was young and doing nationals. And race. I did. I did. I got all my racing stuff up here. I'll flash it on the screen, but yeah, when I was young, I raced on the track, you know, huh. um, I, I went, Lance Armstrong told me to shut the fuck up. I was, he was living at the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And I qualified to go to the junior world trials. It was called, and it was basically a sham. It's like, you, you know, you win this race, you'll go to the world, you'll represent the United States and, you know, Europe for the world championships. I mean, there's like these guys up at the top of the, the food chain that live at the Olympic training center. One of those guys right. is going to win. You just going win. for the, right. yeah, you just going for the experience. So, but everything was paid for. Um, Great. you know, I, I lived, I, I lived at the Olympic training center in the dorms for a week Wow. and, um, yeah, all food. It was like your treat. You just, anytime you want it, you go to the cafeteria, you get food. So, and they didn't like Lance Armstrong lived there at the time. So he didn't right. like a guy like me from the South coming in right. and, and for, a week, for right. a week. And he was on a pay phone. This is probably like 91. He's in, he's in the dorm hallway on a pay phone. And, um, there's a bunch of people in the hallway, but he just saw me and he singled me out and he goes, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, that's a claim to fame. Yeah. And and, and I, I did do a video on this too, where I'm driving around talking about this experience. He was like, you know, 19 going on 30 and I was like eight, 17 going on 14 as far as body right. types and stuff. Right. Well, he's, probably roid rage for him there yeah exactly i heard he was on the phone with his girlfriend and uh right. yeah it was it was a humiliating experience but for the most part i don't look back at him with 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 anger or anything like that you know it's just you know i i really want to interview him about his cancer journey that's sort of like my dream interview Right. I don't want to talk about the Tour de France. I don't want to talk about the right. strip titles. I want to talk about when you got diagnosed, what you went through, and how cycling helped. Right. That's that's what I want to talk to him about. It's just hard getting on people's radars. It's like most of them have publicists. They don't even look at their – some of them do look at their social media. Um, but And then are they going to see it? It's like throwing a needle in a haystack, you know? Right. So Well, anyway. I imagine with someone like Lance Armstrong – he probably you've got to have whatever a hundred thousand viewers or something before exactly even... that's a tough thing I've... that's that's tough um it's honestly one of my weaknesses as a radio show host is that i don't like inviting guests i mean i i don't i feel like i'm imposing when i book guests for the show so i'm a mm. terrible booker because um i and i like i have a lot of regular guests mm-hmm. some of them paid or whatever else who i know like to do it yeah but but there are there are people out there who are much better at aggressively booking their show 
with hard to get guests than mm. I am because I, you know, it, I, it, it's just not, it's not a part of the thing that I like searching people out, tracking them down and saying, Hey, and the truth of the matter is most people are happy to do it, but I, I, I'm, 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 I would be a terrible salesman. I'm bad at asking. Yeah. But you earned that in a way, you know, I mean, you have a name that, that in a brand almost and being in Memphis for 25 plus years, being a lead sports reporter and, and having these viral moments. I mean, you are, you know, in the future, you will be like a George Lapidus. I mean, you will be, you are respected. No, I mean, it's been, it's been fun. It's been nice that I've, I, it's, it's everything I wanted to be, you know, is that I came to the city. I think I thought I'd be here for a couple of years or whatever. Mm. And in the end, what I like most about the job is the connection to the city. And, and, you know, I like it. that people say a lot of me in the grocery store. I like it that when we open up the phones, people call, I like it, you know, mm-hmm. that's that there is a connection. I would tell people, if you move to Memphis and you write about the tigers, you write about the grizzlies, you t- like people are going to immediately care about what you have to say. And then they ultimately start caring about you. And mm-hmm. so I've had the privilege of, of, you know, being a part of that. And it's been just great. It's been wonderful fun. You are Memphis through and through. And thank you. Thank you for the year of enjoyment. It's been a blast. You're nice to have me on. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Good night. <laughs>